right, good morning, Calvary Church. <clears throat> I think for like the first time in like 17 weeks, I didn't have to look at the weather report and worry about if we should cancel a service, right? I mean, I'm tired of snow. Anybody else tired of snow? Okay, no, all you people who aren't, you're the ones who are cursing us with all this snow. That, uh, hey, we're glad you're here. Um, man, I love <clears throat> those songs Emmanuel ended with... Uh, you know, the new mercies of the Lord, and obviously, well, not obviously, some of us know that comes from the scripture, other of us may not, but if you enjoy that truth, if that was encouraging to you, I think you should scribble down Lamentations chapter 3, Lamentations chapter 3, it's a book that some of us, probably many of us, have never even looked at, you may need the cool index in the front of your Bible, but it, it's this guy that's acknowledging there's some hard times in life, right? The words that we sang about the new mercies of the Lord, that flowed out of some challenges and some struggles that we was having. And so I just want to read this to you. It has nothing to do with our sermon today, but it does have to do with God today. And so it's good to think about God from different angles and different perspectives. Here's what the writer of Lamentations writes. He, he acknowledges that he's just going through some hard times. And I know that there's some people here today who are going through some amazing times. We have some newlyweds in our midst. <clears throat> I'm not going to make them stand up or anything, but that's pretty exciting, right? Newlyweds are cool. Uh, and there's, oh yeah! Five people like newlyweds. <laughs> um, but as exciting as that is, and it is exciting, I know there's others of you that man, you, there is, you are in the clouds and there is some hard stuff that you're facing. Um, just some unknowns, some uncertainties. It may be something you're facing this week, or maybe you're looking months and years down the road, and you're, you're just struggling. So this guy who wrote this, um, he writes this. He says, uh, remember my afflictions and my wanderings. This is out of Lamentations 3.19. <clears throat> the wormwood in the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. Right? What he's saying is, man, I'm going through some hard, hard, painful, bitter unpleasant moments. My mind continually remembers this. I can't stop thinking about it. Whenever I try to pierce through, I just keep thinking about the hardship and the struggles, right? My mind continues, my soul continually remembers it. I bow down. But then this great word, but, but, this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. And what gives this guy hope and what can give you hope this morning if you're going through some rough spots is the very thing that we sang about, which he writes here. This is what gives this man hope, <clears throat> that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. And I just offer that to you this morning because those truths we sang were written thousands and thousands of years ago by a guy whose life was upside down. And he didn't know how to get through it and he couldn't stop thinking about it. And then what, what shook him out of that was his realization that every single morning the Lord gives us new mercies and new graces and the faithfulness of the Lord will never, never end. And I hope for some of you that's a continued reason to be encouraged and I hope for others of you who aren't necessarily encouraged that that in the coming hours and days and weeks might give you some encouragement. That every single morning <clears throat> the mercies of the Lord are new and his faithfulness is great. 
for every single one of us. It's great to have you here. If you want to know more about what's going on, we have reinstituted these pieces of paper known as the bulletin, right? It is like we're going retro. <clears throat> Man, y'all are crazy. More of you are excited about the bulletin than newlyweds. You, you need some therapy or something, right? But we want to let you know, you know, digitally, hard copy what's going on. So as we continue to roll things out, last week we had a great family meeting where we rolled out this vision that what we're striving to do is build a body of disciples who personally and collectively impact others with God's love and God's truth. And so we're going to give you ways to take steps to that. We took some great steps yesterday, I mean last week, uh, and just really excited about what God has for us in the season. And to help you know what's going on, you can grab one of these. There are all right, um, sermon notes. If you read the app, the app is really, really helpful. Everything's going to the app. We're probably eventually going to go to the app, but we're not totally there yet. Sermon notes, if you want to keep track of what the book of Nehemiah is about. And if you're visiting, right, or if you just want to know more about how you can get cared for, how you can be prayed for, how you can get connected, how you can learn more about God, um, we have this info card right here. And if you've got a pen or a pencil, you can fill it out, drop it in one of the black offering boxes around, or if you've got your handy-dandy smartphone, we've got a, a QR code there that will get you to our contact form. So we're not going to stalk you, we're not going to spam you, we're not going to show up at your house with stale donuts, um, but we do really want to walk the journey of life with you and be an encouragement and support, and um, so we'd love to know how we can do that, and there's a way for you to provide that information to us. So excited about what God has for us in the sermon. At the end of the time, we're going to talk just to make sure everybody's on the same page about what's to be happening in the next hour, um, but I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump into Nehemiah and see what God has for us and for you and for me this morning. So let me pray, and we'll start. Father, I thank you that you are a God who gives us new mercies. And for everybody today who is filled with joy and happiness and excitement, Father, just thank you for that grace you gave to them. Um, and I pray that you'll continue to have that grow and, and within them. And Father, for all of us who maybe came in the room with struggles and with worries and with anxieties, may we remember that you are faithful and that you are good and you are a strong support to us and may we feel your peace around us no matter what we're facing or thinking about. Thank you that Jesus is the king who is reigning and one day we are gonna see the king again and all the struggles and all the challenges um, will disappear. Father, we pray today for our leaders and the leaders of various countries who are Looking out at the potential of war and loss of life, um, we know that uh, you're a God who desires peace. And so we just pray for wisdom for different groups and different leaders as they're navigating potential conflicts and the issues that come with that. Um, and we pray for us this morning, Father, as you have us here in Trumbull, Connecticut, and we might hear from your word for what you have for us this morning, Father, that Jesus will be glorified. And it's in his name that we pray these things. Amen. <clears throat> well, I don't know about you, but uh, <clears throat> man, if you've ever tried to figure out God's plan for your life, right, that can sometimes be challenging. A lot of us are just so busy figuring out how we're going to pay our higher electric bill or if we're going to buy a new car or used car, which all costs about $42 million, right? Many times our carpools and our <clears throat> grocery store runs and our getting firewood and our events of our life just kind of preoccupy us, but there are those moments where we pause and we try to figure out, man, what does God have for me? 
What's his will? What's his desire? What's his plan? What's his purpose for me? Maybe if you've been tracking with us in these past few weeks in our series in Nehemiah, we've been talking about a guy who saw a need, who saw an opportunity to step up and to be used by God in a particular way, and maybe that's something that's kind of started to resonate within you, like what is it that God wants me to step up and do? And if you've ever pressed into those questions and paused for a moment to think about it, man, sometimes figuring that out, it's hard. And sometimes figuring that out can actually bring pressure, right? Okay, I got to know God's purpose for me. I got to know God's will for me. I got to know if he wants me to move or wants me to stay or wants me to do this or wants me to start or stop. And it, it, the more sometimes we dig into that, the more pressure that can come. And I think sometimes the reason that trying to discern God's will can be pressure-filled is because we, we don't always know exactly how to figure that out, right? God doesn't text us. I wish he did. Wouldn't that be nice? But he doesn't. And so he says, hey, there's a purpose for you. There's a role I want you to fill. There's something in my kingdom I want you to do. But how we sometimes find that can be hard because it can't be just our emotions, but emotions play a part. Sometimes there's not a clear path to figure that out. Sometimes it's hard to know what God's will is and God's purpose is because we get stuck in this place thinking, well, what if I missed it? What if I missed it? What if 10 years ago he put something in front of me and I was at a crossroads and I chose A instead of B and I missed what God wanted? Maybe it's hard to know God's purpose and God's will and if there's a need that he wants you to step up and fill because we're afraid of maybe what will come with that. We're afraid that somehow if we pursue God's will, we'll miss out on comfort, <clears throat> we'll miss out on security. We've, we've worked hard for months and for years to build something for ourselves. And what if God actually calls me to walk away from that and give that away? And some of us, no, we don't want to do that. Sometimes we wonder, how can I do anything from where I am? And we use the words, I'm just a, right? We, we think, okay, God has something that he wants to do through everybody. God has good works that he prepared in advance for me to do. But that's probably everybody else, but it's not me because I'm just a, and you can fill in the blank. Because whatever that is, right? There's nothing for me to do because, man, I'm just a person stuck in a dead-end job. I'm just a seventh grader. And, and the reality is in God's kingdom, there is no just as. There's people for every single person. God has something he wants us to do in a way that he wants us to use that. But figuring that out, can sometimes be hard, and when it's hard, it's like a circuit breaker that goes off. At least for me, sometimes we're thinking about, it, we're thinking about, it, we're thinking about it. It's like boom, 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 and we just, our brain just kind of gets fried, and we can't press forward. How do we make sense of those challenges? What do we do when we feel like God has something that He wants me to do, but it sure is pressure-filled figuring it out? How do we navigate that? How do we go through that? How do we move through that? Well, we've been studying a guy for the past couple of weeks who probably had many of those same questions, who faced many of those same issues as he saw a need and he tried to figure out, okay, how do I meet that need? What, what does this look like for me? What's God's will? How do I get there? And it's an autobiography that we've been walking through of a gentleman who lived a long, long time ago named Nehemiah. And in his story today, we're going to see some really practical things that um, I know are helpful to me. Um, and not because I wrote them down, but because they come from God's word. And I'm hoping will be helpful to many of you who are just trying to figure out, man, what does God want me to do? How do I meet a need? What, how does he want to use me where I am? 
What we do at Calvary, as you know, is we go through paragraph through paragraph, sentence by sentence most many times, and we're doing that through the book of Nehemiah. So we're in Nehemiah chapter 1, and we're going to kind of go through verse 11 into chapter 2, verse 8. Nehemiah 1, verse 11 through chapter 2, verse 8. And we're going to see three observations, just kind of pull three observations. And then for each observation, we're going to pull uh, a challenge or an application um, from each observation. So let's remember where we are. If you've not been, if it's your first week here, <clears throat> we're in this thing called Nehemiah. And what we saw when we first kicked this off is Nehemiah learned of this need. He looked around. He got some news about this gap, right, between God's ideal and the real. There was something God wanted. There was a way God wanted things to be. There was a way that he wanted his worship. There was a way that he wanted his people protected and cared for, but there was this gap between what he wanted and what there was. There was this problem that Nehemiah learned about. And this problem was the fact that the walls of Jerusalem were broken down, and because they were broken down, the temple wouldn't be secure, God's people wouldn't be secure, and it caused all sorts of uh, discouragement for them. It was causing this impact on their worship, and that problem grabbed his heart. It grabbed his heart. He's a dude who's working in a political role for a foreign king, right? He's in this plush setting. But, but when he heard of that need, it just grabbed him. And it resonated with him and it tugged at him. And then what we saw is Nehemiah then went through this four-month process of just kind of letting that marinate. Just kind of waiting on that and praying about, okay, God, I got this need, I got this burden. What do you want me to do about it. Where we pick up today, the four months <clears throat> are over, and today is the day that Nehemiah is going to take a step of action. Four months of waiting, and maybe some of you today are in here and waiting, that you feel a tug, you feel God stirring, you feel something's going on, you don't really know what it is, and you're just waiting, and you're waiting for that to be revealed, and, and you're getting a little tired of that. Well, Nehemiah waited for a long time, four months. Four months are now over, and this is the day that Nehemiah decides to take an action. This is the day that Nehemiah says, okay, I'm going to do something about this in addition to just waiting and praying. And so he puts this really interesting, when he's writing his autobiography, he adds this really interesting detail wedged between the description in the first chapter of the problem and how it landed on him, and now what we're going to see is how he acts. There's this little detail structurally between those two things, and this verse 11 where he says, Now I was cupbearer to the king. It's interesting that Nehemiah didn't put that detail in the first couple of verses where he's describing who he is, where he's living, you know, in Susa, what year it is. He waits for that interesting detail and he wedges that right before he describes what he does on the day that he takes action. I think what he's doing is he's reminding us, okay, look, I've heard of something. I'm about to take action on something, but let me remind y'all where I am, is what Nehemiah is saying. I was cupbearer to the king. What's in all that is he's in the king's palace. He's in a trusted position to the king, right? But what's also in that is he's 700 miles away from where the problem is. He's like in Trumbull, Connecticut. I did some Google Maps for you because I love you. That's how selfless I am. I spent 40 seconds on Google Maps. He's in Trumbull, Connecticut, and he hears of a problem in Charlotte, North Carolina. 700 miles away is about Charlotte, North Carolina. Imagine you hear of a problem in Charlotte, North Carolina, and you're like, bro, 
I'm sorry that that person's having a hard time in Charlotte, North Carolina, or that issue's going on. But like, I'm in Trumbull, Connecticut. Well, I think what Nehemiah's doing is like, hold on, reminding us, okay, he was 700 miles away from where the problem was. And maybe when Nehemiah first heard of the problem, right, he would have had these thoughts get through his mind thinking, well, what good can I do where I am now? If you hear of something in Charlotte, North Carolina, if you hear of a challenge in a school system, or you hear of a group of people that need served, you're going to probably think to yourself, what am I going to do about in Trumbull? Nehemiah heard of this problem, and a normal thought that would have run through his mind is, that's so far away. What possibly can I do from where I am? How can I fix a wall that's 700 miles away? If God really wants me to fix a wall that's 700 miles away, why didn't he just put me there? Like, why am I here? Because there's a problem there, but I'm here, and did God mess up? Is this just been wasted time? Is there no purpose to this? But what he's going to show us is, man, God didn't mess up. And God had perfectly positioned Nehemiah in the perfect strategic spot to be able to take the first step to try to meet the need from exactly where he was. And the reason is because where Nehemiah was is he had a trusted relationship with this king called Artaxerxes. And King Artaxerxes was actually the dude whose permission would be needed in order to start rebuilding the wall. King Artaxerxes, I'm just going to say that about as million times as I can, okay? King Artaxerxes, in Ezra chapter 4, shut down the rebuilding of the wall. The Jews at one point wanted to start rebuilding this wall, and they're like, we need to do this. And the king shut it down, the very king that Nehemiah works for as a member of his political office. Even though the need was 700 miles away, even though the need was somewhere else, where God had put Nehemiah was exactly the place where Nehemiah needed to be from his story to take the first step to meet that need. Nehemiah took a first step from where he was. And where he was was the perfect and the sovereign and the ideal place from which he should take that first step. But when Nehemiah first got his gig as being this cupbearer for the king, when Nehemiah is being held as a prisoner of war years earlier, Nehemiah, right, never, ever, ever imagined that one day, someday, God would use the place in which he had put him to leverage that role, to leverage that experience, to do incredible things from his kingdom. It would have been normal when Nehemiah heard of needs there to wonder, well, why am I here? What good can ever come from my experience here? What's God doing in my story here? Not having any idea what God was going to do in his story three years, four years down the road from where he had him that day. Have you ever asked those questions in your story? Have you ever asked those questions of like, okay, God wants to use me, but why does he have me in this dead-end job? God wants to use me, but if he wants to use me, why doesn't he use me somewhere else, somehow else? Why is he just keeping me in this neighborhood that I can't get out of? 
If God wants to use me, why doesn't he move me and relocate me to a place where I can better meet a need on my heart? Here's the first observation from how God worked in Nehemiah's story, and this is this. Where God has you now positions you for how he will use you in the future. Where God has you now positions you for how he will use you in the future. Um, It was probably spring of 2009, and I can, I mean, I can see it. I'm standing in uh, my backyard in Sugar Hill, Georgia, and uh, I, I, I was just walking through my backyard because a month or so earlier, I had been working at a church in Atlanta, and the recession had come, they hadn't hit budget, and man, they were down several hundred thousand dollars, so they eliminated some positions, and one of the positions that was eliminated was mine. And at that time, I had a mortgage, <clears throat> I had a couple of kids, um, Man, I'd learned a lot at that church, but there'd also been some cultural things at that church that uh, were uh, challenging. And um, I I distinctly remember just being in my backyard, being a guy who walked away from a career as a lawyer, uh, laid off from a job with kids, thinking angrily, what a waste. Like, seriously? Like, what am I going to do? And I mean, I can see it. It's kind of weird. I won't go too far there. But literally, have you ever had, can you ever had something in your life where you can play back that moment? I'm playing back the tape as I'm telling this story. And I just remember all those emotions thinking, why am I here? What good is this? This has all been for nothing. This is all a waste. But it wasn't a waste. Because God doesn't waste anything. And in that moment where he positioned me and had me, positioned me for what he had for me. And out of that experience, I started calling seminary buddies, and God uh, provided to me an amazing opportunity in Savannah, Georgia, to help jump in and, um, man, just help serve in the church. And it was an amazing, amazing, amazing experience of fruitfulness and joy and happiness, and everything that I learned in my first role, man, all of that had prepared me for that moment. And if I hadn't been laid off from my job, and if I hadn't needed a job, then, man, what God had done in that moment was positioning me for this new role that he had for me and a new opportunity to serve. Months before I got it, could I see it? No, I was thinking, man, there's nothing good coming out of this. Waste of time. No way God can use this, but God used that in ways that exceeded my expectations or what I could ever have imagined. And all of that that I went through, every single piece of it was leveraged and was used by God in my time of Savannah. All of it. And God wasn't making a mistake. God wasn't wasting pain. What God was doing in his sovereignty was positioning and preparing me on one day for what he had for me another day. And in the place in which you are today, no matter where that is, God is absolutely doing the same thing. You may not know how he's doing it. It may not be for like next week. It may be a decade from now. But in the place in which you are today, there are things that he is teaching you. There are skills that he's developing in you. 
There's relationships and there's connections and friendships that you're building that you have no idea how God will one day leverage those things for the good of his kingdom and the glory of Jesus through you. And there are areas today in which you and me, we both need some spiritual maturing. We both need a little like, I got to shave off those rough edges. God shave it off some of those rough edges. Whatever you're going through today, God is using that to teach you, to grow you, to mature you, to prepare you, to position you for what he has for you and for how he will work in you the future. Now, that means one of two things. That could mean, yeah, is he going to move you to a new job, to a new role, to a new opportunity? He might. And maybe that's what he's preparing you for now. Or... Maybe he's just going to keep you exactly where you are in your job, in your opportunity, in your role, in your neighborhood, but he's going to expand within that place something that he wants to do in you and with you and through you, and he's preparing you and positioning you for what he has in the future. And based on that truth, here's the challenge and the application, and it's this. Thank God this week, what I'd love for you to do, Thank God for not wasting where he has you now. For some of you, that's going to be a challenge. Because where he has you now is really hard. For some of you, it's going to be a challenge because where he has you now, you feel trapped. You don't know what the exit strategy is. For some of you, this could be a challenge because you're like, he's not doing anything to me now. I'm like a little can of stewed peaches that's just kind of wobbling around and nothing's growing or doing that's a weird <laughs> illustration <clears throat> but he's not wasting it and so what I'd encourage you to do is take 15 minutes take 20 minutes one day two days this week and just say okay God I know the story of Nehemiah, how you were working him, how you are positioning him, how you grow me and I have faith that you were doing the exact same thing for me today and thank you God for how you're preparing me and how you're working in me today. So Nehemiah says, okay, I was in a place that at first didn't make sense, but I saw how God wanted me to leverage it. And so here's what Nehemiah does on this day that he takes action. Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and I gave it to the king. Remember, Nehemiah is the dude, the sommelier, the dude who chooses the wine for the king and the dude who tastes the wine for the king. That's his job, to see if it's poison. So he's a bartender who's also a guinea pig. I don't think I would want that job. So I took up the wine and I gave it to the king. Now, I had not been sad in his presence. It's kind of an important line. And the king said to me, why is your face sad seeing that you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. And I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. A few things to unpack there. This is the day Nehemiah is going to act. He's, he's got the weight of that on him. He's got the stress of that on him. He's got the burden that he's carrying and the sadness for this issue. And all of those emotions that he's been carrying for four months, he can't hide that. His poker face is gone. And he's weighed down. He's sad. He's, he's showing that sadness. And he walks into the presence of the king as the king's employee. He's sad. 
if you ever were, if you go back in time, which is impossible, but if you could, and you would go to the empire of Persia, and you were to go get an invitation to the king to come to a party, and if you walked in, you do not walk into the presence of the king of Persia sad, okay? If you go back in time and the king of Persia invites you to a party, don't go to the party sad, because here's why. In that culture, in that day, that was like a huge taboo, because there was this belief that you just being in the presence of a Persian king was enough that it should make you so happy and the happiest you've ever been. And Persian kings were known to execute people who would not look happy enough in their presence. Yikes, right? That is scary. I would do horribly. I do not look happy half of my life. Um, But I am happy. It's just my demeanor and my poise, right? So Nehemiah, he is committing this huge risk. Nehemiah could have even seen this happen. Nehemiah knows when the king says to him, oh, bro, why are you sad? This is sadness of heart. What's going on? What Nehemiah started to realize is, okay, we got a little bit of a problem here. We got a little situation because I've taken a step of faith and I've, I've marched into the king on this day to have the conversation with him. And now this is not going the way that I wanted it to go. And what did that make Nehemiah feel? I don't know if it's up here. But what it made Nehemiah feel was, I was very much afraid. Ugh. Nehemiah takes a step of faith to obey, to fulfill what God's calling him to do to meet that need. And man, that first step is not met with fireworks and cotton candy. That first step is met with something that causes him fear and unpleasantness and worry. Here's the second observation from this, that steps of faith are sometimes linked with feelings of fear. Steps of faith are sometimes linked with feelings of fear. Many times steps of faith are linked with feelings of fear because what God calls us to do is constantly and ultimately beyond what you and your own power are able to do. See, sometimes when we take a step of faith and we're arrogant about it, maybe what that shows is you got a little too much of a high view of yourself because you think, piece of cake, I got it. Man, many times and most times when God calls us to do something, it is ultimately something that is beyond our ability to do. All of it is because you know what? You can never convince anybody that Jesus is true. That is beyond your ability. You can't do it. You can be obedient and tell people. And God often calls us to do things that are beyond our ability to do. And so many times there's fear because we're like, okay, God, I know you're calling me to do this, but I ain't able to do this. Many times in life, Steps of faith are linked with feelings of fear, but just because you feel fear doesn't mean that you're not taking the right step of faith. Admitting that you need counseling, that can be intimidating. Asking your neighbor who you know doesn't have the hope of Jesus and trying to figure out, man, how do I bridge a connection and saying, you know what, I'm just going to invite him to come to a book study and start a book study with them. That can make you a little nervous. Signing on to visit at a, or serve at a Christian nonprofit, and I mean to put yourself out there to serve other people, that, that can stretch your comfort zone. Looking at the story in your family and realizing that as a dad, you've been passive, 
and disengaged and not prioritized your family and having that weigh on you for whatever reason and realizing, okay, I got to step up and lead, love my wife, lead the way that God wants me to, going to your kids with humility, saying, man, I don't think I've done this as well as I could, and I'm for you, and I want to walk this together as your dad and, and guide you through it. Man, that's not always the easiest conversation filled with fireworks. <clears throat> There's maybe some fear in that. And all sorts of emotions. Steps of faith are often linked with fear. Just because you're afraid, like I said, doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. And many times what you and I do is we let our fear stop us from taking that obedient step of faith. Because we'd rather stick with the known than the unknown. We'd rather remain comfortable than uncomfortable. Many times fear is an obstacle to taking the step of faith. And when we take that step of faith, when we feel that fear, which you will feel, what do we do in that moment? Well, what did Nehemiah do? Verse 2, chapter 4, uh, chapter 2, verse 4 tells us, right? He says, so I prayed to the God of heaven. He's afraid. The king keeps pressing. What do you want? What do you want? What do you want? And he's like, yikes, God help me. And it's interesting in Nehemiah, we're going to see Nehemiah has a bunch of different types of prayers. Uh, last week, we saw a prayer that he repeatedly prayed, constantly prayed, right? Purposeful, seems to be long. Seems, this is like a code red SWAT team. Help God, right? But in the moment of his fear, you know what he did? He turned to his faith. In the moment of his fear, he turned to God for help. He prays, he seeks God's help. And here's the application for you and me this week. Whenever you face fear, cling deeper to faith. This week, if God calls you to step out in faith to meet the need and fill the gap, and that comes with fear, and that comes with anxiety, and that comes with worry, you know what you do? You do what Nehemiah does. You don't turn to your own skills and resources and abilities and say, okay, how am I going to fix this? You know what you do? You turn to God and say, God, help me. Help me. Because I'm trying to step up. I'm trying to obey. I'm trying to make an impact. I'm trying to give of myself like Jesus did, and I'm scared, and I don't know what's going to happen. And I got a little risk in this. And so God, you're the one whose faithfulness never ends. You're the one whose mercies are new every morning. And I need you. Help me. Help me. And so after praying, Nehemiah is like, man, I'm scared. But he moves forward. He moves forward. He doesn't let that fear stop him from what he knew he needed to do. And, and this is what happens after that, he prays, and then verses 5 through 8 continue to tell us what happened. I said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting behind him, beside him, I have no idea why that's there. I, like, who cares? But I guess it's important, right? The queen was sitting beside the king, and the king says, how long will you be gone? And when you will return. So it pleased the king to send me when, and this is important, I had given him a time. And then look what Nehemiah does. Look at the details that come. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, then let letters be given me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beam, 
beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. Right? So he, here's what Nehemiah does. He comes to the king, then he moves into this clear plan with clear details of, okay, there's a need. I've had four months waiting. And in those four months, God revealed to him some details. And Nehemiah came with those details to the king. If you read back through it, there's details about how long Nehemiah is going to be gone where he's going, what he's going to need to get to where he's going, how he's going to get the resources to pay for the job that he feels God's calling him to do, who he's going to talk to, who he's going to see and encounter, details, plans, strategy, thought. Four months ago, the only thing Nehemiah knew was the what. Four months ago, the only thing Nehemiah knew was, okay, here's what God wants me to do, but he had no idea how God wanted him to do it. And now through those four months of waiting and those four months of praying, God confirmed not only the what, but he also revealed to him the how. The how. Here's the third and final observation. God uses times of waiting to develop not just the what, but the how. But the how. When God puts a burden on your heart, like we said last week, you may not necessarily know how he wants you to meet it, right? You just may get a sense of, I want God, I feel God calling me to serve in this way. I feel God calling me to stand in this gap. I feel God calling me to meet this need. I feel God calling me to take that step and do, but I don't know how, but over time, as we pray and as we wait, God reveals not just the what, but the hey. Here's the how. The presence of faith does not mean the absence of organization. Just because, you have, just because you have a plan and God gives you that plan doesn't mean that you don't also have faith. Those two things do go hand in hand. We start with the faith. We start with the trusting in God. We look to God to give us the plan. But then we need the plan to figure out how we're going to do what God wants us to do. And sometimes you and me never move from the what to the how. Sometimes you and me, we get stuck in the what. We get stuck in the what because perhaps we never prioritize listening to God and asking God and trying to prayerfully discern the how. Or we get stuck in the what because we start to see the how. We start to see what's involved and what God is calling us to do and intimidates us and it scares us, <clears throat> and it overwhelms us, and so we just start to squelch and smother the what because we don't want to do the how. We don't want to do the how, so you know, we say to ourselves, yeah, I'll just kind of put a pillow over the head of the what because I don't really want to do that because the how seems so scary. If you've discerned and you know that God wants you to do something, and you have a sense of the how he wants you to do it. And if it looks really big and really scary, it may be really big. And it may be really scary to you. But nothing is too big and nothing is too scary for God. It may seem challenging to you, but it's not challenging to God. And when you step up in faith, not just about the what, but the how, and you step into something that is over your head and scary, and that's the opportunity for God to show that nothing of the success is from you. But it's all because of the way that he empowered you and he worked through you 
and he guided you, and he allowed the what to come about. Here's the third application is this. Consider for some of you whether it's time to start prayerfully planning the how. I'm not one to say, hey, anybody who knows the what that God wants you to do, stand up now and raise your hand. Don't worry, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to change that. But you know what? It would be interesting to know if there's some people in here for the past three weeks in Nehemiah or online for the past three weeks in Nehemiah who every single time you've opened up the word and heard God's word, you're like, I know exactly what it is that God wants me to do. It would be interesting to know how many people in this room or listening to this throughout the week are like, yeah, man, I know the what. And if you know the what, if you know the what, then maybe it's time for you to stop thinking just about the what but to start prayerfully discerning the how. Okay, God, I know what group you want me to try to meet a need within. I know what person you want me to tell about Jesus. I I know what new role you're leading me to so that I can have a different leadership role in the kingdom of God or so that I can have a different type of impact. I know the what, right? I know the what I need to do with a family member. I know the gap, the what the gap is, God. And now... It's time for you to get before God and start saying, so God, how do I do it? How do I do it? You might know that in a week. You might know that in a year. You might know that in a decade. But don't allow yourself to get stuck only in the what and never move to the how. How do we discern the how? Well, there's no Bible verse to tell you this, so this is thoughts from Peter, which you can discard because they are not inspired. But, but here's a few thoughts on the how, right? How do we start doing this? Four quick thoughts. First, talk to people who've done what you feel God calling you to do. Talk to people who have done what you feel God calling you to do. If you feel like God's calling you to start a Bible study in your neighborhood, then you know what you should do? To figure out how to do that, get some, get some best practices. Talk to people who've done it. If you feel like God is calling you to start a nonprofit, to help serve a particular demographic in our community. Talk to some people who've started nonprofits to serve groups so that you know how to do it. Talk to people. Second way to start learning and thinking about this is I'd suggest a calendar an hour every week to start prayerfully thinking about the how. An hour every week to start prayerfully thinking about the how. Third way, kind of just a tool to do this if it's time to start playing the how, look, Some of you may love to read. Some of you may not love to read. But I'd say, man, read. And become more familiar with the problem that God may be asking you to help address. And many times when we familiarize ourselves more with the need and with the gap through that familiarity with it and learning about it, God works in that to reveal to us also the hows. And the fourth one is pray. Pray. Don't get stuck with the what's. Don't get stuck with the what's. The people that God works through are not the people that get stuck in the what's but never take a step of faith. The people that God works through are people who move beyond the what's and understand the how and say, God, this is scary and this is big and if you're not in it, it is going to fail. But whether it fails or not is not up to me. What is up to me is whether I will obey. And I'm going to take a step of faith into the how that you've revealed to me. Does God need you? Nope. 
He can do whatever he wants to do to fix whatever he needs he wants without any of us involved because he's God. But God loves you. And he says, man, you're going to be enriched. You're going to grow. You're going to have something happen in your soul that will be good for you when you partner with me and when your faith intersects with my faithfulness and you watch what I can do, you will be nourished in ways that you aren't in your apathy and your status quo and your stagnant walk. And God doesn't want you to miss that because he loves you and because it will be good for you and it will be in glory to him. So don't get stuck in the what's. Do you want to sit around thinking about the what for the next 15 years and never do anything? And again, what we keep saying is God may not be calling you to do anything extraordinary. God may be calling you to do the most ordinary, mundane things of life in a way that is purposeful for his kingdom and glorifies him. God may call you to drive your kid to preschool in a way that, man, you are pouring into that young child's heart with sippy cups flying and dirty diapers in the trunk. But you do it for the glory and the good of God because the gap is there are way too many kids whose parents aren't pouring into them with the love of Jesus and the training in Jesus. And maybe that's what God wants you to do. You know, as I thought about it, and we'll wrap with this, we're a couple weeks into this now. And it's like, well, what do I want? What do, what, you know, what, what, man, what, what do I hope that God does through this series over the next few weeks? Well, here's another memory of you. Of you. Here's a memory I have of you. I don't know. Here's a memory of me. I grew up in Trumbull. I grew up um, up in the Tashua area off of Stonehouse Lane. Uh, our house was this small little uh, charming bungalow, right, up on this hill. And I can remember in the summers when I was a kid, right, summer, I guess, in Connecticut lasts for about a week, so I guess that's why I remember it well. I, I can remember literally I was a kid, I don't know how young, but uh, young, and I remember my parents and I would sit out on this screened-in porch that we have, and we'd be up on this hill with kind of the neighborhood below us, and, and we'd be eating, you know, 7, 7.30, the sun would be setting, and all of a sudden, down off in the distance, I would hear these little bells start chiming. I know the ice cream truck is really kind of creepy now, but man, back in the 70s, it's probably creepy then. I just didn't know it. Man, I can remember being a kid, and I would be finishing my dinner, and it would just be about that time for the ice cream man to come by. And I would hear that sound, and literally, like, I'd say, I'd think to myself, oh my gosh, this is so exciting. Like, something inside me would start to go, oh boy, this is so exciting. Like, well, man, man, I hope that, will mom and dad let me run down there with a quarter and get me the rocket pop for the night, right? And I remember, literally, I'd start getting this sense of excitement, and I'd know something was coming. I'd be like, man, I want to be part of that. I want to get me some ice cream. And it was a tangible, visceral thing in my spirit that I wanted to sprint down that hill and go get me an ice cream with Alan D'Amato and all my neighborhood friends convening at the ice cream truck. Whenever I heard those, do, 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 something started to stir. Something started to move with it, literally. It did. And my hope for us as a church and my hope for you and my hope for me is that when we hear the word Nehemiah, man, God's going to stir something in you. My hope for you is that through the next couple of weeks we have together in this book that God stirs something in your spirit that will have nothing to do with how good the sermons are 
It will have to do with the power of the Holy Spirit reaching into your story to grab you and to say, man, I'm stirring something. Why don't you get up? Why don't you run down that hill? And why don't you move into what I have for you next? Next week, we're going to see what Nehemiah experiences when his faith intersects with God's faithfulness. But I'll call the worship team up here, and this week, what I would challenge you to do is spend some time thanking God for not wasting where he has you. Whenever you face fear, cling deeper to faith and purposefully start considering where there's time for you to start not just thinking about the what, but to begin prayerfully planning the how. Let me pray, we'll worship, and then we'll just kind of talk about what God has for us um, at 10.30 in a few minutes. Father, you are a good God who for our good and for our development and because you're kind and you want us to experience what it means to be used by you, you invite us to serve you and to serve you by serving others and to be used by you and to be the hands and feet of Jesus to show love to people who aren't loved. Um, You invite us into your work, God. And every single person in this room you're inviting into your work. And Father, I pray that for some of us, maybe there's a particular work you're inviting us to. Maybe there's a particular need you want us to step into. Maybe there's a particular thing that's around the corner for us, Father. And will you enable us to be expectant? Will you enable us to be trusting? Will you enable us to be waiting and watching and then to be bold to follow where you're calling us to do. Thank you, God, that your power is what works through us, and it's never about our own resources. It's about yours. And, Father, I just pray you don't want your word to be wasted, and so I'm trusting that in the lives of so many here in the lives of our church, you're not going to waste this time in Nehemiah. And we'll give you all the glory, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.